Um, gentlemen, I just want to remind you that Saturday morning we, um, we have a breakfast here. We have this periodically. The men's board puts them on, and <clears throat> uh, I don't think anybody ever leaves here complaining about um, the food nor uh, the program that is included. So I hope you'll be with us at 8.30. We eat, and then, and then if you want to stay, uh, Gigi will continue, the Growth and Grace Institute. Um, I will say again, uh, it's the second half of um, uh, our treatment of the subject of covenant theology. So uh, you're welcome to come. I would say that if you did, we weren't there last week, you're going to be a bit disadvantaged. But come on, I mean, if you don't mind the disadvantages, I don't. But um, uh, just warn you that it's, uh, it'll be a little bit hard catching up. <clears throat> um, Yes, and then the, a week from the Saturday, the, uh, the subject will be sola gratia, uh, sola, grace alone, um, which is quite a reformational cry and one that uh, is held dear here by so many of you. So uh, that's, uh, let's see, that would be the, uh, the, what is that, 18th, 18th of February, sola gratia, if, you'd, if you're interested. Okay, guys, we're in the book of um, uh, Galatians, and we're stuck. Um, we're stuck over verse one. <laughs> At least, I mean, you're not stuck. I'm stuck. Um, I mean, you're sitting up there and saying, don't say I'm stuck. I'm not stuck, Jimmy. You're the one that's stuck. Well, indeed. Uh, indeed he is. He's stuck. Um, because the statement that is found in um, Galatians 5.1 is, and I think you'd agree with this, is, is really quite spectacular. Uh, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So the whole issue has to do, <coughs> pardon me, <coughs> with slavery, or slavery versus freedom. Um, your choice. Uh, which one you want? Well, of course, uh, no nincompoop would, um, would choose slavery over freedom, but indeed, it seems that uh, the whole subject does confuse us just a tad. So, uh, we're spending a good deal of time on it. I hope you hadn't, I hadn't bored you yet, but don't worry, there's plenty of time. I can bore you before the night's over, I, I promise you. Um, so, <clears throat> with all this discussion about freedom, here's the question that we're going to address tonight, all right? Um, trying to understand what Paul is advocating... Are Christians freed? Is that a, this a part of their freedom? Are Christians freed from the moral law as a rule of obedience? Now, guys, I, I know you, um, um, we, we theological types, we, we like to make mountains out of molehills. But this is not one instance of that. Um, and, and let me tell you why I, I believe that. I don't, I don't think this is a mountain out of a mold. I think it's huge. Uh, first of all, there's a good deal of confusion, and we're going to look at the confusion in a minute, um, <clears throat> about the answer to the question. But the, the, the concern that I have, and I think you do too, um, is that why aren't we Christians better? Why is our divorce rate 
similar to the non-Christian world. Why do we have to face the, the, the statistic over and over and over again that uh, 30% of um, uh, church-going males have an addiction to porn? <clears throat> um, you know, why is this? Why is there such um, um, moral mediocrity among those who name the name of Christ, profess him, to be not only their Savior, but Lord. Why is that? Why does that? You know, guys, and, and, I, and I'm an overstater, and you know I am, but um, you love me in spite of my overstating, don't you? But um, I, I can't tell you the number of times people say to me in the course of a year, well, I mean, if they walk into your office and uh, want to do business with you, and they tell you they're up front, they're a Christian, you better be very careful. Better be very careful, then, people. Be careful. Why is that? Why? Well, I, I, I can't give you all of the answer. But I would suggest to you that a portion, a portion of the answer is the question that's before us tonight. Are Christians free from the moral law as a rule of obedience? Because that's somewhat uncertain and unclear and um, uh, there's so much disagreement about it that that I think it contributes. It's a contributing factor to the overall moral malaise that seems to be epidemic in, in, in the professing Christian world. We ought to be better than this, ladies and gentlemen. We, and I think you agree with that. We shouldn't, we shouldn't have the same divorce rate that the world has. We shouldn't. We shouldn't. It's, but um, Now, um, also, not only do we, moral, uh, we uh, uh, theological types like to make mountains out of molehill, we also like to take simple things and confuse you. <laughs> um, and I'm uh, as guilty about that as anybody. I'm going to try to avoid that tonight. I'm going to try to make it very simple. And I'm going to use this little board, which you know how much I really love this board. And, and how good I do. I can't even move this silly thing. Um, you know how well I, I do with this board. But I'm going, to, I'm going to put something up there tonight. In, in the, tell them I can't come to the phone right now. Um, and I'm hoping that, that this is going to be, be helpful in clarifying. Um, but I put this thing up here before. So we're, we're, we'll, we'll see. Okay, um, so back to the question before the house: um, Are Christians freed from the moral law as a rule of obedience? The short answer is no. Let's close with prayer. That ought to be enough. But, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to I'm going to tell you in a minute. Um, there is. N- there is disagreement about my simple answer, no. I, I promise you, and I'll show it to you in a minute. All right? Okay, so uh, from whence cometh the confusion? Well, let me, let me try to um, uh, sort that out. First of all, guys, the term law, just the word law, is used a lot of different ways. For instance, uh, the first five books of the Old Testament is called law. That's one of the ways the, the term is used. 
uh, you turn to Psalm 1, verse 2. You can find it in Psalm 119 40 times that the term law is used to refer to the whole Bible. Um, There is such a thing as ceremonial law. There is such a thing as civil law. Um, But the issue, I mean, uh, because the term is used so variously, we're we're talking about (coughs) moral law. Now, if you'd like a synonym, let's talk about the Ten Commandments. I'll tell you what, I'll rephrase my question. Are Christians freed from the Ten Commandments as a rule of obedience? So that that, that should... at least clear away the, the muddy part about the word. Um, that's all I'm talking about. If you want to get bogged down in civil law and ceremonial law, we can do that too. But, but for now, all we're asking is, is the Christian, in the name of freedom, arising out of Galatians 4, 5, 1, is he freed? Is a part of his freedom that, he is a, that he's freed from the Ten Commandments as a rule of obedience. No. Now, guys, among Christians, there is no dispute that the uh, that, that with respect to the to the to the law's power to justify, um, there's no dispute about that. There's there's no dispute. That, um, that the Christian is freed from the curses of the law and from the penalties of the law and from the judgment of the law. Um, the, law the, uh, the, the law is void in its power to condemn. Again, when I say law, I'm talking about the Ten Commandments. Moral law. There's no disagreement about that. Okay, in, in, in among Christendom, everybody's agreed about that. But that wasn't my question. My question is, are Christians freed from the Ten Commandments in terms of um, a guide to obedience? Okay, so there's, there's, there's no disagreement among Christians about the law having power to condemn Christians. It doesn't. It's void of any power. We are freed from any of its penalties, any of its curses, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, we got that. Everybody got that? Raise your hand. Just a joke. Um, We got that, I think. The the confusion enters when the question is, is the moral law the Christian's rule of obedience? And the answer to that is yes. Now, there's where the the confusion, not the confusion, the disagreement begins. Disagreement, ladies and gentlemen. You think it's clear that the Ten Commandments is the rule of obedience, uh, the, the, the guide to obedience for the Christian? You think that's clear? Well, it's not. Um, for instance, dispensationalism um, has suggested, on at least in the past, that um, Christians are only tied to that law as given to us by Christ, or. John 13, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. So that the only law that a Christian needs to be concerned about is that one. Well, I'm saying there's ten others. And of course, they are found in the, new Testament, the Old Testament, but um, 
but um, that's one, there's, there's three camps, guys. My camp. The one I just told you about that is suggesting that the only thing that, that, that obligates you is the law of Christ, which is the law of love. All right? That's a camp. The other camp, I, I found this, I mean, I, I read this term this morning. Uh, and somebody sent me a blog uh, from uh, Steve Lawson, is it? It was quite good. But he talked about this movement called hypergrace. I, I, that's his term, that's not my term, but it's a great term. I like it. In the world of hypergrace, um, the, um, the effort on the part of those in, in this camp um, is to protect grace at all costs from any encroachments of law. Therefore, don't be talking about moral law. And, and, and I might add, I think, that their motives are quite good. We've got to protect grace. Anything that has a law in it seems to assault at least this hyper-grace position. So we've got to dispense with it. Okay, so there's the three camps. Um, uh, from a dispensational perspective, the only law that should be binding is the law of Christ, as found in John 13, perhaps elsewhere, in the New Testament. Then you've got this hyper-grace uh, camp that says we've got to protect grace from all of those Jimmy Youngs in the world who is saying that the moral law is, is still the guide for obedience for the Christian. All right. And I'm saying that confusion contributes... to some pretty sloppy moral living among Christians. It's part of the explanation, at least. And maybe not all of it, but part of the explanation. Okay, so I've told you about these two other camps. I'm gonna, I want to spend the rest of the evening telling you about the camp that I'm a part of and uh, trying to promote the idea that the moral law is still the rule of obedience for Christians. All right, and we're going to try to make this, I'm going to do my best to be clear. Um, gang, it is, the, it is the Ten Commandments that remains as a rule for walking for the people of God. Um, I, I'm going to just try to flip through these. You can take them down. This is uh, Matthew chapter 5, right out of the, Sermon on the Mount, um, it, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I did not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, unless until heaven and earth pass away, not um, an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all has been accomplished. And, and, and this, is, this is really frightening. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, We'll be called least in the kingdom. Okay? Um, um, okay. So I'm saying to you that in Matthew 5, and Elsa, we're looking at some other places. But in Matthew 5, Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish that law. I came to fulfill it. And I didn't come to set it aside. The reply 
from uh, one of these other two camps is an appeal to Romans 10.4. Okay? Now, if, if, um, here's what Romans 10.4 says. For Christ is the end of the law. <clears throat> well, obviously, Jim Young's wrong. I mean, I mean, there it is right there. I, mean, um, I didn't read you all the verse, but um, Christ is the end of the law. Um, for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now, guys, this, this is where um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my um, little thing that I put up here before. And uh, forgive me for boring those of you who have seen it numerous times. But I'm hoping it's going to clarify this whole thing. All right? Um, it's my famous diagram that is beloved by so many. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, you might kind of like to read that. I can't even read it. But um, it's the word glorification. Take my word, take my, <laughs> my word for it. That's glorification. All right? Now, uh, down here is the word justification. I, I'll just stop there. Um, and uh, justification. All right? Now, I, I don't know about the rest of you in this room, but I can tell you that on September, uh, September the 10th of 1970, uh, Jimmy Young was sitting on the floor of a house in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and Virginia Schmidt was preaching the gospel out of Matthew chapter 7, broad is the road that leads to destruction, uh, and uh, many there are on that one, and uh, narrow is the way that leads to life, and few there be that find it. My, I was sitting right next to my wife, Susie, who tonight is in Nashville, by the way, but, but uh, I was sitting right next to my wife, my wife of three months, and we both embraced the gospel and the savior of that gospel on that night. <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> on that night, having been given eyes to see and ears to hear, my wife and I both embraced this Savior. And uh, on that night, um, uh, because as you know, justification is by faith, faith having been exercised, we were justified. Okay. Now, if you've got your Bibles open to Romans 10, 4, where the text says Christ is the end of the law for righteousness, then let me point this out. For this particular juncture, Jesus Christ is the end of the law. No law needed down here, folks. Law's over down here. All gone. Um, because of Christ's finished work, law, there's uh, no need any of it down here. All right? But that was 47 years ago. And, um, you know, we have been living out this thing, or at least seeking to, for these 47 years. Um, and that whole process of the day that we came into the kingdom <clears throat> till the day that we enter our heavenly reward <clears throat> is a process known as, you all know, sanctification. 
Ladies and gentlemen, there is an end of the law down here. Um, for either of the other camps to suggest that Romans 10.4 uh, means that no law is ever again needed is just downright naive. Jesus Christ is the end of law for righteousness. Amen. But that has nothing to do with this whole process that has been going on to date for 47 years. The guide to my obedience to my new Savior is given to me in the law. It's not set aside. It's not useless. Ladies and gentlemen, how does one train one's conscience? I mean, very frankly, um, you don't need me harping at you. Because you got something that harps at you a whole lot better than Jimmy Young harping at you. It's called this moral TikTok on the inside. This um, gyroscope that uh, troubles you from time to time uh, when all the lights are out. Where? How do you train that thing? Well, I. Um... I live by love. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you do. I hope you do. I hope we all do. But I can tell you with us, that's a, I can tell you this much, that's very dangerous. <clears throat> because I can show you some people who define love a whole lot differently than you define love. Well, I, I, I tell you, I, my, I get my conscience trained. I just let my church give me their, the, the rules and the laws. Well, that's to beg the question, because there's churches all across America that suggest that homosexuality is not a sin. Where do I go to get a conscience that's trained, that is in conformity to and in parallel with the God who made me and saved me? I go to the law. Um, guys, I, I, um, listen, he that does not obey the law does not know Christ. Stay with me. But he who relies on the law also does not know Christ. Did you you get that distinction? He who does not obey the law does not know Christ because back over here, he wrote that law on my heart. And I've been uh, trying to give it a little bit of application for 47 years. He who does not obey the law does not know Christ, but he who relies on the law for this, they don't know Christ either. 
Because for this you see, Christ is the end of the law. But not from this. Do you get that? I mean, it's not rocket science, guys, but... um, You know, um, those who rely upon performance, rely upon law to to, um, to be reconciled to God, Luther called them the devil's martyrs. I love that. He said they work so awfully hard so that they can be condemned. Um, Gang, um, Rome... Um, Rome uses law to justify. And antinomianism opposes law to sanctify. Do you see the confusion? Rome says law justifies. Antinomianism, antinomians oppose law as a guide to sanctification. I'm saying simply, does my freedom in Christ free me from the moral law as a guide to obedience? And my answer is no. But you've got to get all these distinctions down right. Does it justify me? Oh, heavens, no. No. Um, gang, um, all right, l- l- let me see if this <clears throat> The law sends me to Christ to be justified. And then Christ sends me back to the law to be sanctified. Do you get that? The law sends me to Christ to be justified. Having been justified, Christ then sends me back to the law to be sanctified. Um, you know, um, if you, I mean, I, I don't think you do, but I mean, if you think that this is erroneous, Listen to this. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence and if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. To to suggest that the law has no role to play in the life of the Christian is to suggest that the law is none of those things. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, law's none of that. If the law doesn't, I mean, I'm being told to think about those things. I'm saying to you, ladies and gentlemen, that the law's all of those things. And it is not simply the reasonable, but the but the guide that I have to um, understanding the mind of God, training my own conscience and uh, displaying an obedience that ultimately um, pleases the Heavenly Father. Um, 
Guys, obedience guided by the law is merely our expression of thankfulness to God. It's, it's, it's the way that I say to God how grateful I am that he has done this. And so expressing to him my gratitude for this. I go over here and I find out what that says. And then I try to live it out because I want God to know that I'm so glad that he did that. Um, um, gang. Moses, the lawgiver, Moses must never be put in the place of Christ. Moses must never be put in this place. But Moses must be put in his rightful place. And it's here. It's here in a guide as it guides me. Um, let me put it to you like this, guys. And, and, and I'll, I'll quit like this. Um, <clears throat> live as if there were no gospel. Die as if there were no law. You get that? Live like there's no gospel. Now there is, but live like there's no gospel. I am going to obey God in every... I'm going to live in obedience. But I die like there's no law. Because the law is void of its ability and power to condemn me. It has been ever since September the 10th of 1970. It has no ability to affect my destiny. But it has enormous influence on how I do this. So, guys, um... You, know, you, you want to know, you want to have a motive to tell the truth on your tax forms? I'll give you one. The law says, Thou shalt not bear false witness. Um, you you want to have, you, you want to find a, a motive to to um, to remain sexually pure. Well, I'll, I'll give you one. The law says, "Thou shalt not commit adultery." <clears throat> you want to have you want to have a motive to um, to respect life. Well, I'll give you one. The law. The, 
the law says, thou shalt do no murder. Guys, it's, it's the law that trains my conscience. It tells me what I'm supposed to oppose and what I'm supposed to support. Please don't depend on this church to do that for you. But the law you can depend on. Um, and every time somebody adds something to that law, that's when we all get hurt, confused, and ill. But is the Christian freed from the moral law as a guide to obedience? No. A thousand times no. Will it help me down here? Nope, won't help me a bit. In fact, it'll hurt me. But will it help me in this? It's really the only thing I got. Live like there's no gospel. Die like there's no law. I love that. Let's quit. <clears throat> Our Father, I, I do pray that you will um, help your people sort some of these things out very firmly in their own minds. Um, we are sorry that you are not represented well. And we've been a part of it. Um, because we, we didn't exactly understand what the, what the standard was. But might this go far to clear up any foggy thinking in our, among us and might, um, might your people be set free from the tyranny of thinking that the law has any condemnatory powers. It doesn't. But it has great instructional powers as it tells us what kind of life it is that ultimately gives glory to the God who saved us in Christ Jesus. Um, might some clarity of thought here help us in our pursuit of Christ-likeness. We pray, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you and good night.